Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Well, good morning to those of you who are here in the sanctuary, those in the commons, and those of you who are joining us via the live stream. And I'm guessing there's probably a few more on the live stream this morning because of the slippery roads. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. The title for today's sermon is What the Blind Man Saw. What the Blind Man Saw, which I admit is a rather strange title, right? Because what do blind men don't do? They don't see. Except this one does, and he sees very, very well. And you'll see why in just a few minutes. So I would ask you if you would please stand with me as we read the text, What the Blind Man Saw. And just to kind of give you a little taste of what's to come, we start Advent next week. We will interrupt our study of the book of Mark for a short Advent series. And then first of the year, we'll jump right back into our study of the gospel of Mark. This passage begins in verse 46 when it says, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let us pray together. Father, I have just grown to love this passage. There are so many things about it that challenge my heart and that encourage me and that challenge me. And God, I pray that that would come through in the preaching of your word today. Um, God, thank you for Bartimaeus. Thank you for his example. Um, thank you for the power of Jesus to um, not only heal him physically, but to heal him spiritually. And so, God, we open ourselves up to you today and just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us, as you did in Bartimaeus. Uh, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and we're asking the question, what did the blind man see? What the blind man saw? Three things. Bartimaeus rightly saw three things. He rightly saw Jesus. He rightly saw himself. And he rightly saw discipleship. He rightly saw Jesus himself and discipleship. Now, if you don't get all those written down right away, never fear. We're going to work through them one by one. So let's look at the first of these, which is Bartimaeus rightly saw Jesus. The text begins in verse 46, and they came to Jericho. Who's they? 
they refers to Jesus and his disciples, as well as a large group of Jewish worshipers. They're all on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate what? The Passover. And as we know, this would ultimately be the Passover of all Passovers. Why? Because Jesus himself will be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. Well, on this journey to Jerusalem, they pass through Jericho, here marked in red on the map, which makes you think of what? That Old Testament story, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Um, The Israelites destroyed this city in their conquest of Canaan. But here's the thing, the Joshua or the Jericho in today's story is not the same as the Jericho in the Old Testament. After all, that Old Testament Jericho was destroyed. This is a new Jericho. This is a rebuilt Jericho about a mile south of the ruins of the old city. And this was a really spectacular place. It was called an oasis in the desert. It was known for its palm trees and its lushness. It was called the Eden of Palestine. And so it became the winter headquarters of Herod the Great. So it is this Jericho, this new rebuilt Jericho, located about 18 miles from Jerusalem, that is our setting for the text today. Well, what happened in that vicinity, on that road between Jericho and Jerusalem? We find out in the second half of verse 46, where it says, And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, stay with me. We have two textual issues that we got to address in this particular verse. Issue number one is the fact that if you compare the Gospels, Matthew mentions two blind men, whereas Mark and Luke mention only one. All right? Matthew mentions two blind men, whereas Mark and Luke mention only one. Issue number two is that Matthew and Mark say the miracle occurred as Jesus was leaving Jericho, while Luke says it happened as he drew near to Jericho. Now, I ask you, are these significant issues? Do they matter? Well, they may seem trivial and not really worth our attention, but critics, the Bible contradicts itself, and the Bible contains errors. So, for that reason, I think it's probably important for us to take a few minutes to go deeper and find some plausible solutions for each of these issues, because I think that's what we find with the Scriptures, is that when we're confronted with things like this, there are answers. So, let's consider the first one. First issue, Matthew mentions two blind men, whereas Mark and Luke only mention one. How do we solve that? Well, I think we begin by acknowledging, hey, if Matthew said there were two, then there must have really been two. Otherwise, there's an error. However, with those two blind men, Mark and Luke chose to focus only on one of them, the man named Bartimaeus. So yeah, There must have been two blind men, but Mark and Luke chose to focus on the one. Why? Not entirely sure, except that as we will see, Bartimaeus was exemplary in his response to Jesus, so that may have something to do with it, but also the fact that it's it's interesting that Mark gives this guy's name. Why bother to give his name unless the readers of the Gospel of Mark had become acquainted with this man. It's like, oh, Bartimaeus, we know this guy. He may have risen to some position of leadership in the early church, and so therefore Mark's Gospel readers would be like, we know this guy, we know Bartimaeus. 
And therefore, that is the beggar upon whom Mark focuses. So, I think there are some very plausible solutions for the first textual issue. How about the second? Matthew and Mark say the miracle occurred as Jesus was leaving Jericho, while Luke says it happened as he drew near to Jericho. That one could be a little tougher. Somebody's got to be wrong here, right? Well, not necessarily based upon what I had just told you. Remember, there's two Jerichos at this time, right? The ruins of the Old Testament Jericho with the red arrow, and then the New Testament Jericho marked by the white arrow. Matthew and Mark could have very well been referring to Jesus and the disciples departing the location of the Old Testament Jericho, while Luke could have very well been referring to the New Testament Jericho. So again, I think there's some very plausible solutions to these textual issues, and they do not necessitate us coming to the conclusion, oh, there's contradictions and errors. So to sum it up, these are examples of the biblical authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using their own unique personalities and perspectives to write an accurate yet personal account. It's such a miracle how God didn't just dictate in a rote, wooden fashion the Scriptures. He worked through humans and their unique perspectives and personalities, but under His superintendence, so that what we have today is the exact Word of God that He intended for us, but He worked through people. Isn't that wonderful? And so in reality, there are no contradictions. With that in mind, let's focus on Mark's accurate yet personal account of the story. We've got this one beggar by name, Bartimaeus. His name ironically means son of honor. Son of honor. But is he in a position of honor at this point in his life? No. Sadly, he is a man not honored by his peers. He's at best tolerated. He is at worst despised. Bartimaeus is a pitiful, desperate man forced to beg for his survival. It's hard to imagine anything lower than being just completely dependent upon begging for your existence, for your survival. And so we read in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. And I highlight Jesus, son of David, because this is very significant in the passage. This is the only place in Mark's gospel that Jesus was referred to as the son of David, right here. The blind man, Bartimaeus, the only one. And that name, Son of David, is a title for the Messiah. It is an important title for the Messiah. The recognition that the coming Messiah, the Christ, would be in the lineage of King David, would be one of his descendants. In the Old Testament, this was prophesied very clearly, very specifically in passages like 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 11, and Jeremiah 23. These passages speak to the fact very specifically that the Messiah would come from David's line. Let me highlight just one of these, um, Jeremiah 23, 5, where it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch meaning a son of David, someone in his lineage, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is a reference to the coming Messiah. This is a prophecy that he would come from the lineage of David. Now, as we transition from Old Testament prophecy to New Testament fulfillment, 
We see this reality fulfilled in Jesus as indicated through those New Testament genealogies. You know those, right? Those annoying genealogies with all the begats and tempting us just to skip over them as if they're not relevant, they're not important. We know better, don't we? They're actually very important because they demonstrate Jesus to be the son of David. The fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, meaning that he is the true Messiah as the prophets foretold. And what is truly remarkable here is that this blind man rightly saw Jesus. Now check this out. He rightly saw Jesus in a way that the religious leaders didn't. He rightly saw Jesus in a way the crowds didn't. And even more importantly, and even more strikingly, he rightly saw Jesus in a way who didn't? The disciples. The disciples. The disciples kept kind of getting it right, but then they'd get it very wrong. And, and so it's pretty interesting to look at today's passage in its broader context, because it is part of a larger section that begins back in Mark 8.22, and it runs from 8.22 through the end of today, um, 10.52. And the, the whole passage could be known by spiritual blindness. You remember way back, we had that two-stage healing of a blind man. Remember, he says, oh, it looks like trees and people walking around. Jesus touches him again. So we have that first miracle of healing. But then in between then and today, Jesus predicts his crucifixion three times. And each one of those three times, the disciples display a lack of understanding, which refers to their spiritual blindness, that Jesus has to correct as he teaches them about discipleship. And now here's the book end to this section, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. So it's all about spiritual blindness. And in between, we have these, these miracles of physical healing of blindness that point to the need for the disciples to have their own healing for their spiritual blindness. Does that make sense? Okay. Because here, blind Bartimaeus rightly saw Jesus, but also he rightly saw himself. He rightly saw himself in the second half of 47 through 48. So let's look at that second half of verse 47. He said, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. He wouldn't be denied. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what is mercy? We, we throw that word around a lot. We sing about it. Uh, we talk about it. But what is mercy? Do we really know what it means? I, th I think it's helpful to put that term alongside some similar terms, justice and grace. And so first of all, justice is God giving us what we deserve. Justice is God giving us what we deserve. As a culture, we tend to be very quick to demand what we think is rightfully ours, don't we? To get what we deserve, what we want, what's ours. We want justice. Be careful with that, right? Because as sinners, what we truly deserve, what is truly justice, is what? It's God's wrath. It's God's judgment. And seeing ourselves 
in these terms as those who truly deserve God's wrath and justice is the beginning of seeing ourselves rightly. Even the Apostle Paul said of himself, wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul rightly saw himself. Blind Bartimaeus rightly saw himself. Do you, do I, do we rightly see ourselves? Or have we fallen into that trap of the culture? Oh, you know what, human beings, we're, we're mostly good. There's a lot of goodness in us. The Bible says otherwise. We are wretched sinners. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you believe that? So it is as we rightly see ourselves. Well, if justice is God giving us what we deserve, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. One crying out for mercy rightfully recognizes their low position in contrast to the elevated position of the one who is able to grant mercy. So so much of it is about positioning. Low is one who needs mercy. High is one who is able to grant mercy. The one in need of mercy is completely dependent upon the one who is able to grant mercy. Now, it also needs to be said here that the Old Testament prophecies identified restoring the sight of the blind as a merciful action of the coming Messiah. And so we kind of see also how those pieces fit together with blind Bartimaeus as he makes the public profession, Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, here I am blind. You are the Messiah. The expectation is, the, the prophecy is that the Messiah will heal one who is blind. And so it makes perfect sense for this blind man who sees Jesus as the Messiah to cry out for his merciful touch. So mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And then finally, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. It's one thing to receive mercy and not experience His wrath. That's great. Oh, but it's quite another thing to receive His grace and experience eternal life. Life abundant, both now and forevermore. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The blind man recognized he had nothing to boast about. He could contribute nothing to his salvation. He could contribute nothing to his healing. Neither do we have anything to boast about or anything to contribute to our salvation. And so, blind Bartimaeus rightly saw himself as one whose only hope was the mercy of God. And we must see ourselves the same way. So, what the blind man saw, he rightly saw Jesus, he rightly saw himself, and lastly, he rightly saw discipleship. He rightly saw discipleship. This is where it gets really exciting for me. Look at verse 49. Um, First of all, and Jesus stopped And I'm going to stop right there because this is very important. Don't rush past Jesus stopped. Stop and consider the fact that Jesus stopped because it's very significant. Jesus the Christ. Again, where is he going? What's he doing? 
This the Messiah, the son of David, is on his way to Jerusalem for what purpose? To be sacrificed for the sins of the world. He is on the very verge of his life and ministry coming to their ultimate climax. And yet, he stops. He stopped for a blind beggar and granted him mercy and compassion. What an example for us in our busy, important lives. How important it is for us to stop, to be available, to be able to engage people in their time of need with mercy and with compassion. And also, Jesus here demonstrates, he lives out the truth of what he had just shared with his disciples back in verse 45. He told his disciples, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that would be true even on the way to the cross. Jesus stopped and he served others. All right, back to verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. That word of call, as you can see, um, appears three times in this one verse. Why? To emphasize the fact that discipleship always begins with the call of Jesus. Where else do you see that? Remember Peter and Andrew? What were they doing? Fishing, got their nets going. Jesus shows up and Jesus calls them. And what did Peter and Andrew do? They left their nets. They left everything to follow Jesus. Similarly, oh, this, I love this. Watch what Bartimaeus does in verse 50. And Bartimaeus, throwing off his cloak, sprang up and came to Jesus. There's something else we could rush past and not truly grasp the significance of it. That cloak, likely Bartimaeus' only possession. It was his coat. It was also his bed. It was his only means of warmth and comfort. It was a source of security. And yet, when it's time, when Bartimaeus is called, what does he do? He leaves it behind, just like Peter and Andrew left behind their nets to follow Jesus. But who is this the exact opposite of that we've talked about recently? Two weeks ago, who did we talk about? The rich, young, religious ruler who was called... An invitation was given, but what did he do? Not giving it up. Not giving it up. He refused to leave his wealth behind. And it's an interesting illustration too. Remember how we talked about Jesus saying, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Here we have it in stark contrast, right? We've got the poor man with his cloak eagerly leaving it behind to follow Jesus, but one who has much, it's much harder to let loose of that wealth and follow Jesus. Well, it gets even more interesting because in verse 51 we read, Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Does that question sound familiar? Were you here last week? Pastor Mike? Thank God for Pastor. I love Pastor Mike and very thankful for his, uh, his ministry last week. Um, that question should sound familiar because it was in last week's sermon. Remember that Jesus asked this very same question of James and John. Go back to verse 35. Um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? So there it is, the same question that Jesus, James and John answer the question, poorly. (laughs) They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. How audacious is that? How arrogant, how full of themselves. In contrast, Bartimaeus was asked the same question as James and John, but his posture and his answer were quite different. You see, the disciples asked to be seen, right? They wanted to be rich and famous in God's kingdom, holding positions of honor and prestige, but Bartimaeus asks simply to see. The disciples answered out of arrogance. Bartimaeus answered out of humility. The disciples were rebuked. Bartimaeus was healed. Now, it is reasonable for us to ask, why did Jesus ask a blind man what he wanted? Seems obvious, right? Well, of course he wants to see. Well, not necessarily, right? The blind man could have asked for what else? Maybe just a handout, just like he'd done with everyone else up to, his, up to this point. But Jesus asks Bartimaeus the question intentionally to give him the opportunity to demonstrate great faith. You see, when face-to-face with the son of David, the Messiah, you don't ask for a handout, right? You ask for a miracle. You ask to be healed. And so Bartimaeus did. Look at verse 51. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, a little bit hidden in the text here. That Greek here translated as rabbi is actually a word of great strength. The the, the general term rabbi simply means teacher. But here, um, the, the word that's being used is actually rabboni, which means master. It's a much more intense word. Teacher, master. In Matthew's account, Bartimaeus even calls Jesus Lord at this point. So once again, we see Bartimaeus rightly seeing Jesus and rightly seeing himself. And this is a posture that Jesus gladly honors. Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, interestingly, the Greek word here for made you well is not the word that you would typically use for physical healing. Rather, this is sozo, which is translated as saved. So there are actually two healings going on here. There is the physical healing of Jesus restoring the man's eyesight, but by faith, there is also the spiritual healing of the man's soul. As Bartimaeus put his trust In Jesus, the son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, Bartimaeus crosses the line of faith and puts his trust in him. And truth be told, it is this spiritual healing which is much greater than the physical miracle. Well, how did Bartimaeus respond to the double healing? The second half of verse 52 simply says, And immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately, it happens over and over in the gospel. Um, Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, 
Bartimaeus, you can see now. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to follow Jesus. Now that I can see, I'm going to follow the one who enabled me to see wherever he leads. Demonstrating that Bartimaeus rightly saw discipleship. He became a follower of Jesus. And not in just some figurative nebulous, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, Bartimaeus would literally follow Jesus on the path to Jerusalem. As we know, that path would ultimately lead to the crucifixion of Jesus, the son of David. But one thing is sure, and I love this, this man who had had his eyes opened by Jesus would be determined to always have his eyes on Jesus. As one commentator said, Bartimaeus pictured discipleship clearly. He recognized his inability, trusted Jesus as the one to give him God's gracious mercy, and when he could see clearly, he began to follow Jesus. And so that is what the blind man saw. He rightly saw Jesus. He rightly saw himself. And he rightly saw discipleship. So let's, let's shift to application now. How should we then live? Three questions I want to ask you this morning. Three questions raised by the text. And question number one is this. How is Jesus calling you? How is Jesus calling you? Remember back in verse 49, we were just there, and Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Likewise, Jesus is calling some of you today by his Holy Spirit. For some of you, it is a call to salvation. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, today is the day to cross the line of faith. Today is the day to admit that you are a wretched sinner. There is nothing good in you of yourself. And your only hope is to confess your sins to Jesus, to turn away from them, and to put your trust in Him as the only source of forgiveness, as the only one who can grant you eternal life. Jesus is calling some of you to salvation today. Would you cross that line of faith? For maybe others of you, it's a call to a deeper walk. You've been just skimming across the surface. Not going deep. Kind of mailing it in. And Jesus says, oh, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. Would you commit to a deeper walk with me. But that deeper walk is going to, by necessity, require you to let go of some of those things that hold you back. You're going to have to let go of some of those things which are inconsistent with a deeper walk with Christ. Jesus is calling you to a deeper walk. What will you do about that? Similarly, for some of you, it's a call to obedience Jesus has been speaking to you perhaps for some time about something that he is calling you to do, something specific, and you've been putting it off. And you've been saying, not now, Jesus, not now. And Jesus say, no, now. Every parent knows delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. For some of you, it's a call to purity. We are to live in this world 
but not be of this world. And some of you have become very much of this world, even as you profess the name of Jesus. And Jesus is calling you and saying, hey, that's got to stop. I'm calling you to purity. I'm calling you to holiness. I'm calling you to be holy because I am holy. I'm calling you to purity because my name is on the line. You profess Jesus, but you live like the devil and it doesn't work. For some of you, Jesus is calling you to purity. However, Jesus is calling you today. Don't delay your response. We must not presume that that call is always going to be there, right? Interesting, when you think about it, Jesus passed by Bartimaeus how many times? Once. And Jesus did not go back to Jericho. Fortunately, Bartimaeus responded in the opportunity that he was given. Will you respond in the opportunity that you've been given? Next question, question number two after, how is Jesus calling you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? That's the same question that he asked James and John. It's a question he asked Bartimaeus. It may sound kind of self-serving, like, ooh, I'm not sure I should even you know, deal with that question. Should I tell Jesus what I want him to do for me? Um, here's the thing. Be honest, because if you're off base in your answer, guess what? He'll tell you. Just like he did James and John. He said, whoa, you guys are way off. He'll tell you. But I firmly believe that so often we have not. Why? Because we ask not. And so many times when we do ask, we ask for something small rather than something big. Remember, Jesus, or Bartimaeus rightly saw Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of David. And so Bartimaeus didn't bother to ask Jesus for alms, for a handout. No, you don't ask the Messiah for alms. You ask the Messiah for the miracle. And so he did. And so he received. God is honored when we recognize him to be the loving, omnipotent, gracious source of all good things. And as my Bible tells me, um, he knows how to give good things to his children. So don't be afraid to ask, but also don't be afraid to be corrected. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Last question. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus? The, the way that Bartimaeus followed him, not by the way of our cultural, lukewarm, apathetic Christianity, the way Bartimaeus did, all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to the cross, all the way to the crucifixion, through many trials and tribulations, through manifest suffering, are you willing to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow Jesus? Because Jesus promises us it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. You don't follow Jesus so that your life will get easier, because it won't. You follow Jesus, first and foremost, because he's God, and he is worthy of our worship, our allegiance. You follow Jesus before his glory, but ultimately because it's also in the midst of that for our good, and Jesus promises that even in the midst of the trials and tribulations and the suffering, he'll be with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. 
because you're with me. And he will be with you as he was with Bartimaeus. But are you willing to follow Jesus in this manner? For God's glory and for your good. And so, how is Jesus calling you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Are you willing to follow Jesus? We close today with this quote. Like Bartimaeus, we were all blind until Jesus gave us sight. We were poor beggars until he saved us as our ransom. We brought to him nothing but our weakness and need, and he graced us with his power and blessing. Praise God, Jesus stopped and had time for Bartimaeus. And praise God, Jesus had time for you and me. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Jesus still stops for anyone who calls on his name. And like poor, blind Bartimaeus, no one is disappointed in what he does. Yes, there is hope for anyone who in faith looks to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, how I pray that everyone who is able to hear this word today would look to you. And they would respond to those three questions. God, where Satan and the world have tricked us into having a faulty vision of who you are and a faulty vision of who we are, God, would you correct our vision today? We acknowledge that just like the song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. We confess our wretchedness. Oh, but God, we confess your goodness and your mercy and your grace, which lifts us out of our wretchedness, transforms our hearts and transforms our lives and makes us far beyond anything we could do ourselves. So God, would you do that work even in this present moment? And God, would you lead us on for those of us who maybe are a bit stagnant right now, who feel stuck. God, lead us on. Even though we know that that path is going to be riddled with, with strife and hardship and suffering, God, lead us on because it is the way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And where you lead us, we will follow. So renew that conviction in our hearts today. And also as you renew that conviction, renew the power of the Holy Spirit within us to take us to the very end. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.